Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On today's episode, we are speaking with the Emmy-nominated and board-certified plastic surgeon behind the hit Netflix show Skin Decision, Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Dr. Nazarian has had a super successful career. She performs plastic surgeries for millions of viewers while emphasizing body positivity and confidence in her patients. And as she's reached tremendous success, she's built a platform, a following of people inspired by her work. But she decided to build more than that. She's used her platform to do more than just promote her work. She's used it to defend her people. And I wanna ask her what inspired her to use her platform in this way. Does she see it as a risk? Was there backlash? And ultimately, is she able to draw hope from it? I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Dr. Sheila Nazarian is an Emmy-nominated and board-certified plastic surgeon with a private practice in Beverly Hills. She has a master's in medical management from the Marshall School of Business at USC. And she also serves as assistant professor in the Division of Plastic Surgery at the University of Southern California. She's the founder of Nazarian Plastic Surgery, Spa 26, the Skin Spa e-commerce site, and the Nazarian Institute, where she brings thought leaders to tech business owners in the luxury space, think big, branding, innovation, and growth. Dr. Nazarian is the star of the Emmy-nominated Netflix original series, Skin Decision, Before and After. She is married to neurosurgeon Dr. Fardad Mobin, and she has three children. Dr. Nazarian, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have you. My pleasure, Julia. Great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, it's great. We had the chance to sit down and speak back on Jewish identity crisis. So it's really great to have you back and to have this conversation. And I'm really excited to get into it. Awesome. Let's do it. So let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us a bit about where you're from and your background as a Jewish woman? I'm originally Persian from Iran. I was actually born as an anchor baby in New York uh, on vacation. My mom came here when she was nine months pregnant, so I would be a U.S. citizen. And then went back. This was 1979, so the Iranian Revolution happened, mm-hmm. and we were kind of stuck there. They wouldn't let Jewish people leave, um, even though there was, you know, some very outward persecution as well as like very like passive aggressive behavior as well. Um, and then in 1985 was the Iran-Iraq War, and there was bombs flying, and one of them landed a couple blocks away from our house. So my family was like, "Okay, we got to get out of here." But it wasn't Absolutely. so easy for us. So my father was a pathologist, and he said he was going to go to um, give a lecture somewhere. And they said, "Okay, fine, you can go, but you have to leave the passports of the rest of your family with us." So he left our passports with the government. I didn't know what was happening because I was only six and a half at the time. So my mom's obviously oh. not going to tell me. But mm-hmm. one day we went to the bazaar, um, which was like, you know, an outdoor marketplace. And we got into the back of a covered, almost like pickup truck. And they put tarp over us and then covered us with corn. And, wow. you know, my mom was just like, be quiet, be quiet. And we, we were smuggled across the border into Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember we were in like a clay kind of hut bathroom which was basically like a hole in the ground that you straddled um and in that bathroom my mom told me we were going to america and i was like oh my god i'm gonna meet michael jackson because we had all these like bootleg (laughs) michael jackson videos (laughs) yeah um so i like thriller i was like oh my god so uh (laughs) we did spend a night in the desert um and we were seen by border police and we were shot at but we got away 
And um, we were in, in Pakistan waiting for visas for about three months. Um, and that was like the first time that I actually experienced anti-Semitism. Um, yeah. Like personally as a child, um, I was mm -hmm. in, um, they would have weddings in the hotel a lot. And uh, I was downstairs at one of the, and we would go like watch and like the, see what the bride was wearing and stuff. Yeah, I was a little kid. But some, I don't know how, but some woman was like, are you Jewish to me? Like some adult woman. And I was like, yes. And then she spit on me. Wow. And that was like, yeah, that was really the first time that I was like, what the heck? You know, mm -hmm. you were a child. Uh, I was like, I was like means. six and a half, almost seven. Yeah. yeah. And then after we got our visas, we went to Vienna. We stayed there for a month and actually reunited with my father after not seeing him for a few months. Um, and then we all came to the U.S. together. So I think the Persian um, community that came, you know, in a very similar way, a lot of Persian Jews, you know, mm -hmm. escaped from Iran, whether it was like pretending to be somebody else and getting on a flight or going through the desert. I mean, there was a lot of yeah. different ways, but I feel like everyone has a similar story. Mm -hmm. um, so we went to, you know, we came to New York first and then it was too cold. So we moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the Persian Jews of Iran are very spiritual and very like a little mm -hmm. bit superstitious. Yeah. Um, and my mom, I, it was funny. I just did a post yesterday about it on my Instagram, but my mom mm -hmm. was like, observe Shabbat in her own way, which meant like, hey, will you turn on the stove for me? Or like, even if we had to go to <laughs> temple, if we had to go to temple, she would like have us open the car door. She would sit inside, we would close the door. So she wouldn't like technically be touching the car, but, we, but she would like get in the car to go to temple. It was so, really funny. Yeah. I know, it was, it was really funny, but I just remember I, it's like- really funny, yeah. Yeah, I just remember like that being, you know, kind of, um, I don't know. It was always yeah. like in our lives. I didn't actually yeah. do Hebrew school. I wasn't actually mm -hmm. like officially bat mitzvahed. My bat mitzvah mm -hmm. was um, me and my mom taking like a, a lone trip, just just the two of us to mm -hmm. Israel together. Went to the Wailing wow. Wall. I had like a rabbi at the Wailing Wall say a prayer over me, and that was my yeah. bat mitzvah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I just. Um, I've always, you know, felt very Jewish. I was a Bronfman fellow, so mm -hmm. I, you know, got to go to Israel with Jews of all different, like, I don't know. There was even a boy whose um, last name was Christian because his father was Christian and his mother was Jewish. So it was wow. like all sorts of Jews to bring together and like mm -hmm. really unite, you know, and, and kind of kill those divides that are yeah. nuts, in my opinion. Um, Absolutely. So that agree. was like my first real like, whoa, like that was like mm -hmm. my first time actually reading and discussing yeah. Jewish things was when I was yeah. 16. Uh, and then I, I did go to Columbia University. Wasn't much anti-Semitism when I was there. And actually the only reason why my father let me go is because it did have a large Jewish population. And my mm -hmm. dad was like, you need to meet a nice Jewish boy. Like you have to go to <laughs> a school that has Jewish boys. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to Columbia and then after that I went to Albert Einstein, which is Yeshiva's medical school. And mm -hmm. that was like another kind of awakening into, yeah. um, you know, Judaism and being surrounded mm -hmm. by people that were religious. Uh, and then after that, I, you know, came to USC, f finished my residency, started my practice. My kids go to a Jewish day school here, mm -hmm. mainly because my sister-in-law's kids were there. And I was like, okay, it's mm -hmm. like really close to my house and really close mm -hmm. to my office. And I was like, this is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I really appreciated it. I was like, why isn't it more academic? And like, why isn't it more this? And after the most recent conflict, I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad that my kids mm -hmm. spent time reading Torah and Tanakh yeah. and like all, you know, and like really learning their roots and yeah. learning their history. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I was like, the math needs to be harder, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting because you talked about this story leaving Iran um, and how when you were a kid, that kind of 
anecdote about Michael Jackson and that being your focus. And now you spend a lot of time being really vocal about anti-Semitism um, and the persecution that Jews have faced and continue to face in many parts of the world. Um, looking back at that experience as an adult now, has that shifted the way that you view your role in the Jewish community? Um, well, I mean, has of that course, kind of, yeah. of course. I mean, I think that's a year ago, even before this conflict, you know, my daughter's starting high school, my oldest um, kid is starting high school. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, she's like four years away from going to an anti-Semitic college campus. And I don't yeah. want her to not know who she is. And if I don't start speaking up about being Jewish, then she's mm -hmm. not going to feel safe in college. And mm -hmm. so I just started speaking up about it, but just like little things like Shabbat Shalom, mm -hmm. like on my post yeah. that went out on Fridays, like that was mm -hmm. an act of like bravery, you know? Yeah. But um, I mean, it, it comes with the backlash because anti-Semitism is all over the place. So it, 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 it is. Yeah. 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 And then with the most recent conflict, you know, I, I saw, I started seeing my colleagues spreading like lies and the same five words that everybody mm -hmm. was using about Israel. And I had more followers than them. So I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I was like, if you're, <laughs> if you're going like three posts a day, I'm going to do 20 posts a day. Because I just <laughs> felt like I felt like a responsibility. And then yeah. also, I, I witnessed what happened to Iran. My family witnessed what happened to Iran. Mm -hmm. And we actually had to escape our country because yeah. of what happened. And I started seeing the same verbiage and the same pattern happening in the U.S. And I was like, I'm not going down without a fight. And meanwhile, yeah. the, the trauma is still there. My family's like, yeah, are you sure. crazy? What are you yeah. doing? Like, you know, just afraid for, you know, physical safety, afraid for uh, verbal abuse, afraid mm -hmm. for um, monetary, you know, issues like yeah. losing business and all of that. And I was like, you know what? I think that, you know, people talk about FU money, but there's also mm -hmm. FU success, right? So mm -hmm. I'm not at FU money yet, but mm -hmm. I'm definitely at FU success. So if somebody yeah, leaves absolutely. me, you know, if a patient doesn't come to me because they're anti-Semitic or they don't like what I'm saying, there's like 10 more waiting to take that spot. So I am yeah. at like FU success mm -hmm. at this point. And I just said, you know what, what did yeah. I, what did I build this for? You know, if I built yeah. this platform, mm -hmm. is it for like posting before and afters of breast augmentations and fashion photos. Like, yeah, you know, I enjoy that. But really, I've built this platform. What am I going to use it for? What is my purpose? Mm -hmm. And so I just said, you know what? If I don't say anything, I can't sleep well at night. Like, yeah. I have to speak up. And so I just did. And I think on the first day when I posted, I lost 3,000 followers wow. just with like one post. And I was just like, you know what? I got to keep going. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, I don't care who I lose. Like, if I yeah. built this full of anti-Semites. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. So I just kept going and I didn't know anybody else who was doing that. Yeah. So it did feel kind of lonely. Uh, I mean, I know there's like Jewish activists and Jewish accounts that were posting it, but I feel like I was one of the only ones that was not a Jewish account posting. You have and your so own I platform. It's about something yeah. totally different. And not an and not an echo chamber. So it was like it, yeah. yeah, it was kind of risky, but yeah. So absolutely. in the first month I lost thirty thousand followers and wow. then gained, I think, like twenty seven thousand followers. So I just felt like yeah. the whole following went through this seismic shift. But what happened is people became obsessed with me. Yeah. Whereas before people were kind of following but maybe didn't like like me like here or there maybe they didn't even like mm -hmm. me but they're kind of were just following to see what i'm doing blah blah mm -hmm. blah so they could like talk behind my back but 
And then people that I actually know were talking behind my back were coming up to me and being like, we love you. Thank you for everything wow. that you're doing. This is the most important thing you've ever done. Yeah. Like blah, blah, blah. Even though I help people every day. Yeah. Um, I think this was just, it struck a chord with people. And I think it's so sad that in the US, the home of the free and the brave, just to speak your opinion is considered brave and courageous. Where that's why my family came to this country was so that mm -hmm. we could speak what we wanted to and not be afraid of who was listening and what was going to yeah. happen to us. And now it's happening yeah. here. And so I just, I just, I can't go silently into the night. Like I have, I had, I forgot how to shut up is what I tell people. I just like, that's, that's, cool that's our too. legacy though, right? No, I know. <laughs> like, but I think what's cool too, Julia, is like when, when you start yeah. doing that, you get people mm -hmm. who actually appreciate you and love you for the real you. Yeah. And they love you for because they share the same core values mm -hmm. and i think that's so powerful for and sure. i wish i would have done it sooner to be honest with you even though i mean it was not easy i i would it no. was the first time in my life i've ever experienced anxiety i would literally wake up with anxiety i've never yeah, had that i can before. definitely understand i'm sure a lot of our listeners can too yeah. One thing I'm really curious about is you built this entire platform and you talked a little bit about it um, in terms of your Instagram following. Mm -hmm. um, but you also are a part of an Emmy nominated Netflix show that talks about your career and the work that you do. If any of our listeners haven't seen you on Netflix already, they should because it's great. Skin Decisions, as you said before, is an Emmy nominated show. You took the platform that you already had and you start talking about anti-Semitism as well. How has that kind of affected the reaction people have had to your show? If people watched it more? Has there been any backlash? How has that been kind of offline and more on the, the, the professional world? Well, Netflix doesn't really share data like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really know how it's affected how many people watch the show. Uh, but what is cool about the Netflix show is it is in 90 countries. So it really breaks me out of the echo chamber so people aren't just finding me because of who has reposted me on social media but because of the show i'm getting new followers of all different beliefs all different countries all different languages every mm -hmm. single day yeah um and i think that's really powerful because a lot of people i'll be the first person the first activist they've heard with a the opposing mm -hmm. like you know yeah story and so i think that that's um really a blessing and an opportunity to educate people and to give them uh, some new ideas that they can think about. And, uh, yeah. and a lot of times I'm maybe the only Jew they've ever met. Really? And so yeah. I try to post things uh, that really humanize and show me as a representative in that light in a, in a beautiful way, in a generous way and a loving mm -hmm. way. And honestly, in a very honest way, like I'll bring up topics that a lot of people I think are really scared to bring up. And I'm actually starting mm -hmm. my own podcast soon. Really? So that I'm I can bring, to yeah, yes. so, so that I can bring people with opposing views to yeah. have real conversations again. Like I want to bring a transgender athlete and a female athlete who's lost her spot in nationals to a transgender female. And I want to put them on the same show and I want them to talk because I want to learn. But I feel like everything is so like, oh, we're so afraid to talk about it. And if you even talk about the other side, then you're canceled, which, by the way, I don't think exists. But that's another topic. Um, but I think it's just all about bringing conversations back. Because, again, it goes back to my own children. If they go to college and they're afraid to have nuanced conversations... What's the point of college? Yeah, absolutely. 
And I, I, I'm really interested to see kind of how that translates to your work as well. Um, and kind of the conversation that you have with, with clients about um, how to make them feel comfortable and confident in their own bodies. But also, I think an issue that a lot of Jews think about all the time is how do we kind of balance this being comfortable in our bodies with the understanding of external pressures around our appearances, like Eurocentric gender norms or the idea of our noses kind of being this thing that we have to fix. Um, but also kind of balancing, taking control of that and also making sure we're doing it with a positive kind of mindset. How does that translate into the work that you do? What are these conversations that you're having with your patients um, about seeking that positivity? I mean, I don't really judge someone's decision to mm-hmm. make healthy um, yeah. choices. So, and I try not to um, bring my own opinions into it. Yeah. I'm, I, I approach it almost anatomically. And yeah. there are things that are, you know, it's not even stereotypically more attractive. There's just things that are universally mm-hmm. more attractive. Um, and if someone's comfortable in their nose or whatever, fantastic go kill it. Like, love that for you. But if someone comes in and they're like, I think my face would look more proportional or more in harmony with a uh, smaller nose or to take this bump away or whatever, I just look at them and I say, is this safe? Is this person safe? Is Mm -hmm. this a healthy decision that they're making? Are they mentally stable to undergo this procedure? And if all Mm -hmm. of those things are yes. And one of the things that I always tell people, if it's something that you think about more than three or four times a week, and you're young and you're healthy and it's safe to do so, just fix it. Mm-hmm. Like, but nobody's forcing you to do so. Has there ever been a time when you've had to tell someone you don't think this procedure is right for them? Absolutely, all the time. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you again, I think branding is everything. So I yeah. put out a very strong female yeah, uh, persona online and I tracked mostly very strong females that are highly educated and successful. Mm -hmm. And so it's very rare that I have to tell someone no. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, I think the time that it comes up more is with my younger Instagram influencers that come Mm -hmm. in. They Mm -hmm. kind of feel like, oh, I want this and I want that. And I'm like, nope, 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 no, no, no. I'm like, here's what we're actually going to do today. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I think for some patients, I'm a mom. For some patients, I'm a friend. For some patients, I'm a sister, um, so on and so forth. And so I think um, it's very like psychosurgical what I do Mm -hmm. um, or psycho spa, depending on what what it is that I'm doing. But I think Mm -hmm. there, you know, is a certain psychology that's behind everything. uh, And it's on me to really partner with the patients and help them make yeah. a decision that's going to make them happy. Like I just put a post up two days ago or second post. I don't know how many days mm-hmm. ago it was, but it says if you're not happy without it, then you're not going to be happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to make sure these people are capable of happiness because surgery is not going to make anyone happy if they're unhappy. Absolutely. And how have you found this work to be empowering working with these women? And like you said, attracting this strong kind of female persona in people, how have you found that to be an empowering experience for them and for you as well? Well, I think uh, we're like-minded. And so Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time actually talking about business and tax Mm -hmm. planning and vacation spots. And I always say, you know, I, when I go home, I'm just kind of like, socialized out because I'm kind of like on and social with my patients all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so, you know, they kind of are very like-minded. And I think most of the satisfaction of what I do comes from those patient interactions and those conversations now, because after a while, the surgeries aren't as challenging anymore and they don't seem as artistic to me. It's sort of like, I just see it and do it now. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas before it was like, ooh, I have to think about it and I have to plan it. Now it's just sort of like, it just works out. Yeah. Um, And so it's really is those patient conversations and the um how cool my patients are and how successful they are that makes my job really satisfying i think that's something that i've seen a lot in the jewish community and and outside of the jewish community when it comes to women in positions of power that we maybe couldn't have been in um a century ago i find that we often are looking out for other women and trying to give each other that mentorship i feel like almost after almost every conversation i have on this podcast i talk with the person and we say kind of exchange advice. We talk about kind of where we've been, where we're going to. And I I think that's a big reason why we started this podcast and why I'm really excited to be hosting it because it gives women the access to having these mentors. Um, for you, is this something that you always saw yourself doing when you went into college? And was it a hard path to take as a Jewish woman, as someone who is coming from um, a different background than a lot of people in your class? How has overcoming that kind of hardship growing up, given you the strength to advise other women? And is this something you always saw yourself kind of becoming? Well, I think, you know, coming here in the first grade, I didn't even speak English. Um, Mm. I was so super skinny, like incredibly skinny. Uh, I got teased a lot for that. And so I think a lot of it for a really long time was kind of proving people wrong. Even people in the Persian community were like, well, why would you want to be a surgeon? As soon as you have kids, you're going to have to quit, you know, because that's what they were taught that as soon as you have Mm -hmm. kids, you can't work anymore. Yeah. And so I think uh, a lot of it for a really long time was just like, watch me, like I'm going to do it. But then about five years ago, I realized that's kind of unhealthy because if you're just you know, working so hard to prove people wrong, you're not really living for yourself. You're living yeah. to shove it in somebody else's face. For sure. And so I just let that all go. And I was like, you know, I did it. Like, mm-hmm. where am I going now? And how is it going to improve the quality of life of myself and my family and yeah. my employees, you know, some sometimes. And so mm-hmm. I'm just making decisions for me now. And so kind of like making decisions and saying yes to things that, um, gratify me and are going mm. to challenge me and uh, make make me feel like I have purpose. And so mm. that's kind of where all the Jewish activism came in is because if anything, I could lose money, but it's giving mm. me so much um, yeah. gratification and pulling people into my life that I otherwise might not have met. For sure. But yeah, I think, you know, most of the unfortunately most of the people telling me you know not to do it were in my within my jewish community Mm -hmm. um and i kind of overcame that and i understand why because it's hard it was really hard i mean i had three kids during surgical residency it was incredibly difficult hard wow (laughs) yeah i mean i i literally would drive home some days post call and sit in the garage and call my husband and be like you have to come get me out of the car like i can't get i can't i can't stand up yeah. And so, I mean, it was incredibly difficult uh, physically and mentally, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to have my kids younger and I didn't want to have to go undergo infertility treatments and all that crazy. And mm-hmm. so I just did it. And I'm glad I did now, but at the same time, I missed a lot of their childhood. Like mm-hmm. I missed a lot of their baby baby parts, which is like the cute yeah. parts. 
Yeah. But, you know, definitely, yeah, but like definitely making up for it now. Um, because I am able to, you know, kind of choose my schedule and pick my patients and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So, but yeah. And and then the other thing too is a lot of the stuff that I thought was a disadvantage, like being brown, being a female, um, you know, anything that I almost thought would be a disadvantage. I, you know, after business school, I realized like differentiation is everything. And so I leveraged all of those things to my advantage um, to differentiate myself. And that's been it. So being brown, a lot of people, um, for example, lasers, Mm -hmm. there's lasers that are good for Caucasian light skinned individuals. If I Mm -hmm. used one of those on me, I would burn and I would turn Mm -hmm. more hyperpigmented. So there's lasers that are for brown and darker skinned individuals and mm-hmm. there's lasers for lighter skinned individuals. And yeah. I was, I have both. And so I yeah. get the trust yeah. of darker skinned individuals being like, you understand my skin because you have mm-hmm. the same skin. Um, as a female, I'm able to test every single device on myself and show mm-hmm. it on my social media. I actually inject yeah. my own face with wow. fillers and Botox live. Yeah. And so that's been a huge advantage because women are like, well, she doesn't look weird. Mm-hmm. And they're I able to her. see. She's doing yeah, it to I trust yeah. her. She does it to herself. Yeah. And also, you know, maintaining a certain aesthetic. Like I have 15 syringes of filler in my face all the time. I haven't moved my forehead in 14 years, <laughs> but it still looks natural and it still looks harmonious and I don't look mm-hmm. fake. And so. I think women are like, I trust her. And so I use that to my advantage. Whereas if a man maybe did that, maybe it might not come off as um, authentic authentic or likable even. Yeah. (laughs) So things like that. I mean, it's like, it's something that when women are coming to you, they understand that you understand the pressure that comes with being a woman. You understand the social and you understand all of it and and it's just like little things like for example in a breast augmentation instead of putting the incision directly under the breast i take Mm -hmm. it a little bit off to the side so that if they want to wear a j-lo dress their incision won't show it's just Mm -hmm. like little tiny things like that yeah that i think um just make people be like yeah i want i want her yeah that really brings us to the last question and the question that i ask all of our guests um here on nice jewish girls um and it's kind of going back to the idea of what I said earlier, that this podcast is supposed to be a chance to give women all over the world access to mentors and fields they probably never thought of before with people they'll probably never get to meet before. And I'm curious too, because you talked about your own experiences with people telling you, you know, you can't be a surgeon and have kids or different things that you've had to overcome throughout your career. Um, And that you have a daughter now who's probably going to see her mom setting this really strong example and want to follow in your footsteps. And that really ties really well into our last question, which is, given all that we've spoken about today, what's one piece of advice you'd want to give to our listeners, probably our younger listeners, really, who are hearing you speak and want to know about how to navigate the world as a strong Jewish woman? I think uh, one thing I'd want to get across is know your history and know the talking points that other people are going to come at you with as a strong Jewish woman, a vocal woman. I think uh, be proud of who you are and be authentic to who you are. Uh, Mm -hmm. Authenticity never disappoints. It will just attract amazing people into your life. Um, And... I think the other thing that I've discovered is you can't have people love you 
and be obsessed with you unless you have an equal amount of people who hate you and don't like you. And it's okay to uh, choose a side and to Mm -hmm. speak up for something that you believe in. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Nazarian. It's been so wonderful to speak to you and to hear all about your story and your experiences. It's incredibly appreciated. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Dr. Nazarian's story is, well, it's tremendous. She survived amid insurmountable odds, and she's persevered with hope. She's become a successful doctor. She's created a successful practice, and she starred in a successful Netflix series. Again, time and time again, defying insurmountable odds at every turn. And that is the story of Jewish survival. No matter what we face, no matter what we feel, no matter where we come from, nor where we go to, we find a way to survive. We don't just survive though, we thrive. We create beautiful diaspora cultures. We find a way to revive Zionism, to preserve Jewish culture, to reinvigorate Jewish language. And it's a beautiful legacy to be a part of. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. Your feedback is critical to making this show the best it can be. So contact us at podcasts at jewishimpact.com. And don't forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with Jewish advocate and influencer, Amy Albertson. Nice Jewish Girls, the production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I'm your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishimpact.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. And don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.